It's Monday, April 8th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This study podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we are joined by Dr. Rick, our Vice President of of Engagement. Dr. Rick will walk us through Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 35. Uh, This is Rick Morton. Excited to be with you here today as we jump into uh, Acts chapter 15. We're going to look at the first 35 verses of Acts chapter 15 um, and looking at the Jerusalem Council when... um, the church was uh, being affected by and, and, and being influenced by uh, men who, who were adding something to the gospel. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that and consider it for just a few minutes today. We won't take time to read the whole passage, but kind of a summary overview is remember where we left off in Acts chapter 14, uh, Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch in Syria, and they were... Um, they were teaching and had st- and spending a lot of time with the church in Antioch, um, teaching these new Gentile believers who had had come to faith in Christ. Um, and so, as Acts chapter fifteen opens, what we see is there are there are a group of men who come uh, to Antioch, um, and they are basically preaching and and saying that that. Um, these Gentile believers um, must first become a Jew, must first be circumcised before um, they can then put their faith in, and trust in Christ. And um, it's noteworthy to, to notice that, that one of the things that Luke um, says, and Luke, Luke's very precise about his details um, in, in every way in the book of Acts, but he says some men came to uh, came to Antioch. He doesn't say some brothers, and and so Luke is really telegraphing for us in that that these are these are men who have their own agenda, but they're not men that are that are coming who are who are part of the church, who are in Christ, who are who are seeking to uh, encourage the brothers or or to protect right doctrine. As a matter of fact, um, you can go over into Galatians chapter two, and and scholars are somewhat divided on this, but I I I I believe that the first 12 verses of uh, Galatians chapter 2 are a direct reference to this incident. There are a few details that are a little bit different, um, but what Paul talks about there seems to fit exactly um, within the setting and within the scene that we see uh, at the beginning of of Acts chapter 15. And Paul says... um, that he says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order that to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. In other words, he's he's basically checking himself with um, with the disciples and with the church in Jerusalem, um, and he, along with with Barnabas and Titus, go. Um, basically to say, Let, we want to make sure that our, our doctrine is correct. He says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. In other words, these 
these men that are coming have an agenda, and, and they ultimately have an agenda that is, that is not from God, but it is from them. It says, um, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Um, in other words, he's telling another Gentile church that, that we didn't submit to the demands of these people because ultimately they were, they were trying to add something to the gospel. And I think that's the central thing that we want to, to, to learn and to pay attention to and to remember out of this passage that, that what we see happening in Acts chapter 15 when Paul and Barnabas go to the church in Jerusalem to, um, to work out this controversy that's come in the church as they're preaching the gospel to the Gentiles is that this group of men that came from Jerusalem were essentially adding requirements on top. They were, they were legalistic in their understanding of the gospel, and they were saying that there were things that we are required to do. Um, and, and what we have to you know, just bear in mind here is that if, ultimately if you have to go through anything in order to get to Jesus, it's wrong. Um, that, that the gospel is that, and the good news is that, that Jesus, the offer that Jesus makes is, um, is a free gift that, it, that is given to us and there's nothing that we can do um, to, to earn it. A lot of where this mindset comes from in, in, these, uh, in these Hebrew Christians or even in these, these, these Jewish people that are around the church but maybe not in Christ, it comes from just a, a wrong understanding of who, who the Jews were to God. If you, if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 7, look in verse 6, and it talks about this idea that God chose Israel to be, to be his treasured possession. Um, and so we know the identity of Israel as a people are, are as a treasured possession of God, but they, they were chosen as a treasured possession in order to bring about, to bring the Messiah and, and to bring about salvation and, and the kingdom of God um, to the rest of the world. The problem is that, that Israel saw God as their treasured possession. In other words, they they saw this as an exclusive relationship that they had with God that they needed to somehow hoard to themselves and protect because they believed God was, was, was their God, their possession. Um, and the truth is that we know that God cannot be possessed by us, um, that, that God cannot be taken in by us. He cannot be contained by us. We are his possession, but he cannot be our possession. He is our Father. He is our Creator. He is, um, he is our, He is our Rescuer. He is our God, um, but but He is, but He is not limited, um, you know, to our possession. And so, um, so, so you have this circumcision party that comes into Antioch, and they, and they, they basically then drive um, Paul and Barnabas and and their traveling companions. Um, to Jerusalem to sort out this question, um, you know, with the church, and 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 what the church does is is very much the same thing that we see, um, you know, in in First John chapter four, this idea of testing and trying the spirits by the word of God that the that the church really kind of delves in and, and considers. And so if we if we look through the narrative, first of all, Paul and Barnabas, they 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 basically tell all of the signs and wonders and things that the Lord has been doing. Um, by the work of the Spirit in in and among the Gentiles, um, then then Simeon um, comes and it says and, and and James who is the you know who is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem 
um, says. He says, brothers, listen to me. This is in, in verse 13 and 14. Um, after, after Paul and Barnabas had, had, had finished speaking, James says, brothers, listen to me. Simeon is related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them um, take from them a people for his name. In other words, that God's visited the Gentiles just like he's visited us um, to, to, to bring from the Gentiles a people for his own possession. And he says, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as, as it is written. And then James basically looks back to the Old Testament, and, and he points to, um, to a couple of passages, in, one in Amos and one in Jeremiah, where, where they try by the, by the word of God what, uh, what this thing is that's happening around them. And he, so he says, he quotes, and, and it says, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David, that has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. Um, remember in, in, in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8, when um, the, the people of God have, have, have finished um, rebuilding the walls at, under the leadership of Nehemiah, and then um, in chapter 8, there's this, this flourishing of the rediscovery of the Word of God, and that the people basically stand from from earliest morning until the end of the day as Ezra the prophet reads the word of God to them and and in a place and in a time where where there that it should have been a, a, a place in the Jewish calendar when when they were celebrating instead um, instead they were convicted by the word of God and they began to weep and they began to wail and and and, and part of what what the Lord speaks through Nehemiah is to tell the people to um, to wipe their tears and to stop um, to stop their lamenting and, and for them to celebrate the Lord and what he's done. And the way they celebrate it is by, um, by celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles and then by celebrating the Passover. Well, we know um, as Christians on this side of the cross that the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, when, when Israel literally moved out of their homes and moved out of the comfort of their homes and moved out into tents, and, and lived for you know for a short time in tents that they were they were literally putting on display what Jesus was going to do that Jesus was going to take take on the tent of flesh um, and that you know as it says in, in the in the book of John that the um, in John 114 the, the the word was made flesh and dwelt among us um, the word is literally tabernacled there um, that Jesus um, moved into his tent of flesh and, and, and inhabited with us. And so this is a picture of what Jesus was going to do. And that's exactly what's being talked about um, here in this, in this quoted passage. It says, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. And there, in other words, God himself, Jesus was coming and he was going to build this tent and he was going to move into it and he was going to rebuild the ruins of what sin, um, uh, uh, the destruction that sin had wrought. And, and it says, it says and, and I will restore it. And so then, right, we have the Passover, which is this idea that, that in his atoning work, what Jesus did um, is, is he, he, he paid for um, the restoration of people by his blood. And, and so we, we move on in verse 17 of Acts chapter 15. And it says that the remnant of man, mankind may seek the Lord. What remnant? The whole remnant the Jews, the Gentiles, all the peoples of the earth that are left, that, are, um, that, that have been decimated by sin, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord 
and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Um, something else that we that we see is um, that that very much in this um, in this passage that there's an acknowledgement by um, by Paul even a little bit before this where where he basically says to um, the church in Jerusalem he says why now therefore um, sorry we'll start in verse eight he says and God who knows the heart bore witness to them who the Israelites. By giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he, or by the Gentiles, I'm sorry, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our of the Lord, just as they will. And and so essentially, you know, part of the judgment that's being made here by the by the church in Jerusalem about the Gentiles is is remembering that as Jews they were once they were once not a people as well. They were once just like the Gentiles were that they didn't they didn't have God's presence that they didn't have God's blessing that they weren't God's people but that God chose them and made a people from them and that through them God desires to make a people of all nations and that the good news of the gospel is that um, that there that there's nothing else that we have to do other than repent and believe um, that 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 our our turning to Jesus and our following Jesus is all that's required of us. That we don't have to become a Jew. That we don't have to become something else. That that there's that there's not work to be done. But then we see in 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 sort of, sort of at the closing of um, this passage is that 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 James then turns and says he says in verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. But we should, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. In other words, um, th- that James commends to the Gentile church in Antioch, he, he wants to send a letter back, and he, he basically is calling for them to pursue personal holiness. Um, why? Because, because they are in Christ. And so he warns them about some things that are, that are common in their culture that are things that, are, um, that really stand in opposition to the outworking of the gospel. He says, um, you know, he warns them about, about, not, um, about abstaining from things that are, that are polluted from idols. Paul talks a lot about in, in, in his writings in, in, in Corinthians and in other places about eating meat sacrificed to idols. And, and he basically is saying, um, don't become a stumbling block to those around you by using the freedom that you have in Christ. Um, he's saying to them, don't go to the temple and uh, the temples of false gods and eat the meat that's been sacrificed to those idols. Why? Not because, because meat is inherently good or inherently bad. It, it's ultimately because it puts you in a place where, where it causes people to question the, the authenticity of your faith and the authenticity of the Jesus that you proclaim. 
He tells them to, to flee sexual, sexual immorality. Why? Because, because sexual immorality is, is not only a gross sin that, that offends God and, and, and ultimately that we have this idea that sexuality is saved for marriage and marriage is a picture of the covenant between God and his people. And so he's saying, you know, use your sexuality in, in its proper context, but he's also reminding these Gentile believers um, who, who are living in a culture where um, sexual deviancy is, is ultimately part of the worship of false gods. And he's saying, don't be sexually immoral. Why? Because you want to show yourself as, as being holy, as being set apart, as being different than those who have not been transformed by Christ. And so when you live um, one man, one woman in one relationship for one lifetime, you're living in a way that's qualitatively different than the world around you, and, and you're testifying to um, the authenticity of the gospel and the transforming grace of the Lord. And, and so what happens uh, as this passage concludes is it says that, um, that, that the church of Jerusalem sends um, Paul and Barnabas back to the church in Antioch. It send, they send with him um, a, a man named Judas and a man named Silas um, to, to be witnesses to what the church in Jerusalem has, has said and what they've commended. Um, and, and basically for this letter to be read... Um, that that can encourage and strengthen the brothers in the church. And then we see what happens with, with Paul and Barnabas is when they go back and when they take this word to the church at Antioch, they stay and they teach. And, and so they're preaching and teaching the word uh, along with, with many others, and they're, they're basically discipling the church in the truth. And so we just want to be really careful to remember as believers that, um, that, that we're not to add or to take away from the gospel, that our, our goal is, is, is merely to, to follow Jesus and him alone. We want to be people who, who test and try um, if something is of God or something is, is part of the gospel by filtering it through the counsel of God's word um, and, and that we... Um, that we want to be careful that we don't become people that become haughty, um, thinking that we're some kind of honored, treasured possession of God, but we, we, we see ourselves the way, the way that, that God had really called Israel out to see themselves, which is to be a tool to take the message of God and to take the mission, or to be on the mission of God, to take the message of God to um, the peoples of the nations. And that, um, and, and that our... Um, that our goal is ultimately, in everything we do, even in orphan care, um, like we're tasked with doing here at Lifeline, that our goal is about putting the gospel on display and about telling the gospel um, ultimately so that, so that people will, will repent and believe and that they'll become disciples who, who truly follow after Jesus. And so hope today's been helpful for you, that it's been an encouragement. Um, the Lord has done much for us. Um, both in the provision of Jesus, but also in the protecting of the path to him and the protecting of, of the word in the church. And, and we certainly can, can draw that from Acts chapter 15. And so hope you have a, a great day and may the Lord bless you um, as you continue to study his word. Well, thanks, Dr. Rick. And this week we are praying for the country of Peru. 
We are praying specifically for the PRUVE program as we no longer have any active families in process and we pray that our, for our team as we're just taking a step back to evaluate the future of the program and how we can grow and, and advocate for the children of Peru. We're praying for the government of Peru and the central authority, DGA and MIMP, to make wise decisions about orphan care. We're praying specifically for the new director of adoptions that took office this month. We, we pray that their administration will work in the best interest of children. We're praying for creation of, of better advocacy uh, policies for children who've been abandoned to be eligible for adoption are reunited with their biological families. We're praying for the children of Peru that they would hear the gospel and would also be sustained in their times of difficulty and waiting. We're praying for the children at Not Forgotten, our unadopted partner, for Jean and Patty as they lead the staff who care for the boys at the home. And we praise the Lord for Abel who came home to his forever family last month. And, and Abel was a 16-year-old boy that we have been praying for over the last year. So let's pray uh, and ask the Lord to, to go before us and go before Lifeline and to, to, to work in Peru on behalf of vulnerable children and families. Lord, we lift up the country of Peru. We're thankful for the opportunity to be able to serve in Peru for all these many years. We just ask for uh, wisdom as we take a step back and just evaluate the future of this program. We, we ask that you give us uh, the, the avenues and the ways to be able to grow and to advocate for the children in Peru. We pray that the church in this absence would rise up and, and would be bold and to preach the gospel and to, to equip members and families and Christian families to get engaged with vulnerable children in the country of Peru. We pray specifically for the government and the central authority, DGA, to make wise decisions and for this new director of adoption, that, that their administration would, would change policies and, and make things uh, truly in the best interest for children, both for the protection, uh, but also for better advocacy and reunification. We pray for the children of Peru that they would hear the gospel. Uh, Lord, we just ask that they would hear the gospel through whatever means possible. We pray for our partners not forgotten, uh, that, that you would be with Jean and Patty as they lead the staff and care for the boys in their home. And we praise the Lord for this little 16-year-old boy who was able to come home last month. And we just thank you for all the ways that you answered the prayer and brought that to be. Uh, Lord, we are good, you are gracious, and we know that you could do so many great and wonderful things. Lord, we also lift up New Life Children's home and uh, Mike Kennedy and Shalene Kennedy to you and ask that you would go before them, lead them, direct them. And Father, I pray for Mike to continue to have favor with DGA for both New Life Children's Home, but also uh, to see different policies changed on behalf of children. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you would take a moment and rate the Defender podcast, uh, you can do that by either going to the uh, podcast app found there in iTunes or Stitcher or another podcast listening uh, app that you might use. We just ask that you would rate the Defender podcast. This helps other people learn more about us for us to be more visible on those podcast platforms, as well as us just to know that you're listening and to know that you're enjoying the content that we are putting out. In the same way, would you take a moment right now and drop us a line at info at lifelinechild.com and let us know how the podcast is ministering to your family, how we can continue to use this podcast, and maybe even topics or, or folks that you'd like to hear from that could be an encouragement to you uh, or that would just be someone that you believe would bless others through the Defender Podcast. Well, thanks for listening to Defender Podcast. For more information or connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. 
gospelchild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.